Welcome to the Spent the Rent podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest back for the second time, first since 2018, is Cameron Derby. Cam, welcome to the show. It's cool to be back here. Like This studio, the first time I was here, was so much different. I, I had to sit way back there. If I move, my voice goes away, but you had to sit all the way over here. I, well, I was kind of like on a little couch thing. Yeah. Now it's decked out in all this duck gear and there's guitars everywhere. It it feels different. You've grown a lot in the last three years. Yeah. it's I've gained some weight. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, uh, no. It, it, so I started my podcast back in 2018 and it was just a little boy with a dream. <laughs> and I reached out to you. You had just graduated. We're going to talk about who you are and why you're here, uh, but- you were my sixth ever guest, so you're my episode number six, and this is episode number 172, so we've come a long way, and you have some exciting news. Back then, you had just graduated uh, from the U of O with a degree in journalism and communications, so if anybody's unaware, soon in, U- in the Eugene and Lane County area, they will be more aware of who you are. Uh, this is exciting. You've already announced it publicly, but I think this is your first formal interview before you actually hit the road running. Uh, you have taken a position as the director at the sports desk for KEZI nine. Yes. So yeah. Sports director at KEZI nine. Um, going to be covering mainly the Oregon ducks, the Oregon state beavers, uh, going to dabble in some Portland trailblazers. And of course, all of the local high schools in the area. So it's a, it's a really cool market here. Like when you, when you do different markets in TV, there are different markets that do different things. So news markets are completely different from sports markets. Like the, the Eugene area, I think DMA wise is somewhere right around 114, 117 like that in terms of rankings of viewership in the whole nation. But it's one of the very rare markets that has two division one programs within 30 miles from each other. It's very rare. You'll find one news station that covers two power five conference division one programs so i'm i'm sitting in a in a really cool spot here yeah it's exciting and this is a big it's a promotion it's a bigger market but it's also a bigger job uh i mean but you grew up in medford and so we talked about that on the last episode but uh you know when you got hired in medford that was your dream job originally when as a little kid growing up is that true yeah it was it was i mean i think that this is probably more of the quote unquote dream job what was unique about that situation in terms of being a dream job is that that was the station that I grew up watching. Right. So even though it was in a small market, it was, it was really, it was really surreal for me to be a part of the shows that I grew up watching the shows that made me love the local high school coverage aspect of sports coverage. I got to be a part of those shows. I get to put my own footprint on it and now I'll forever be a part of, of the history of those shows, the Friday night blitz and the round ball rap there. So that was a really cool thing to get to do. Now I get to do the real inner childhood dream of covering a big team. You know, so for me, the Oregon Ducks were just the world. Like that they were close enough that I could be connected to them, but they still had that feel of being so far away, you know. So yeah, yeah. and and now, you know, I got to go to school and and do it from a student aspect. And now I get to do it from a professional aspect, which is a completely different responsibility, but it's extremely exciting to be back. Sure. And you know, I I mean, I've never watched the news in Medford. I got to be honest. I've grown up pretty much in Salem, which had even, I guess, comparable to the Lane County size, but there was Portland news too. So it was pretty, you know, it was pretty good size market, but did you not cover the Ducks? I mean, a little bit. You would kind of talk about it a little slightly. Yeah, we would. So for those that don't know, Newswatch 12 in Medford is actually KEZI9's sister station. Oh, wow. Okay. So we would swap video with them a lot. I already kind of have my... It's going to be a much easier transition for me than it is for most moving into a job like this because I'm very familiar with the staff there because I, I would call them on the phone all the time and ask them for video. So... Uh, my new partners, Julian and Kate, have always been great to me. And we did a show called College Game Night where we we pretty much covered the whole landscape of college football. We'd cover SOU and Ashland, and then we'd cover Oregon and Oregon State. This will be different in terms of, I think, how critical the audience is of of the coverage and the fact that we're just going to be so much closer. You know, a lot of reporter coverage and a lot of being at media availabilities with the teams and actually being around the players. That aspect of it will be very different. And it's our show there was different than the show here. The show here is a lot of film breakdown and really 
in-depth coverage on Oregon and Oregon State. There we would do we do the highlights and we do stats and all that stuff, and then we would kind of cover the whole landscape of college football in general. This is much more focused on a community's team, and I think that that part of it is gonna kind of bring out the the college town in me a little bit. Yeah, that's exciting. So now working in Medford, though, you grew up there, went to high school there, left to go to school at the U of O. When you went back and then you know found yourself on the news. Uh, did you start getting recognized a lot around town? I that happens a lot more, like with the main news anchors yeah. that have been there for a really long time. I got a lot more recognized, like in the sports world. Like whenever I went to practices or whatever, people knew who I was right away. There were only several instances where I like got picked out in public for for who I was. I actually have a really funny story about it. it the first time it ever happened. Uh, I was not expecting it to happen because it's my hometown. I'm so used to just going around and going from place to place, going back home. So uh, this was when I was a morning reporter. I started as a news reporter first before I could get the sports job. And so I, I went to the gym at like noon after my morning shift got over. But I forgot some of my change of clothes in my room. So I got to the gym and I had like my undershirt, my white t-shirt, and I had uh, – mismatching socks whatever so i did my workout and then on my way home i needed to get a protein shake uh like so i needed to make a protein shake so i stopped for milk at the grocery store at food for less in medford and i'm like i i look awful you know i like my makeup that i had on tv is kind of like starting to really break down because i'm sweating and stuff and i'm in a sweaty white t-shirt i just my whole mission was to go in there get milk and leave and I'm walking down, I got my milk, and by this time I needed to use the restroom. But I was like, I'm just going to go home. So I'm a couple blocks away. This guy's walking down the, the aisle that I'm in, and he's like, he goes, how's it going, guy? And he knuckle touches me. And I'm like, all right, whatever, how's it going? Sure. <laughs> Keep going. And then as I'm about four paces away from him, he goes, I watch you on the news every morning. And, and I was like, like great, great. I was like, oh, wow. You know, so like, I want to be nice to him. You know, so I turn around and say, hey, man, I appreciate that. Thanks for watching. Have, have a good day. And he goes, you mind if I take a picture? <laughs> this is literally the absolute worst that I've ever looked in my life. And it's the first time that I'm being asked to take a picture. And so I said, yeah, that, that's fine. You know, I, I took a picture. And as I'm taking a picture, two more people in the aisle realized oh my God. what it was. And so they like... They started making – it was almost like a – they started to make a small line. And it wasn't it wasn't a big deal thing, but in this aisle of the grocery store, it was a happening event. Right. <laughs> like I had to go to the bathroom. I wanted to get out of there. I was like, these pictures are going to start surfacing around the area of me just in a sweaty T-shirt. But moments like that, you learn to not take yourself very seriously. It's, it's still hometown for me, so it was never that much pressure. Right. So now – I've seen you on social media, which your social media is pretty funny. You know, you, you use uh, Instagram. I don't know if you're on TikTok because I'm not. Uh, but I, I use TikTok here and there. I should be better at it because I feel like that's the platform to get followers in. Right I now. don't know. I'm, I've, got, I've got issues with TikTok, but that's a, that's a whole different episode. <laughs> I just refuse. Uh, let's just keep it American. We'll just put it that way. So, sounds good. So, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, one of the things that's cool about doing a smaller town is that you're going to cover a lot of kind of odd events and then mostly sports, but you've also done some, some other stuff, which we'll get to in a bit, but what was your favorite event to cover in Medford? Okay. So this was the first time that I think that I realized that sometimes in sports, you run into things that completely veer way off into left field that have nothing to do. Like some things are just so much bigger than sports, you know? So there's an event called the Pacific Rim Bowl that happens. It happens in Ashland. It's at the Ashland high school football players play against the Japanese all-stars every two years and every two years or every other time they play, they flip flop locations. So the Japanese will come to Ashland and play and then Ashland will travel to Japan and play. And they always take this, sort of remembering World War II and that entire conflict and trying to create better relationships with each other and and, and break down stereotypes and all that stuff. And the, the kids are so excited to see each other. Like, they welcome each other like a, like a welcome parade shows up. But in that, I met a woman who I had no clue was living in Southern Oregon. Her name is Hideko Tamara, and she is one of the last living survivors of the bomb in Hiroshima. And she's the, just the tiniest little 
Japanese girl, and she's the sweetest person that I've ever met. She's still got scars from... So that this story went from, I'm going to cover a football game, to I'm going to talk about how this woman mentors kids that are now playing football to overcome something that she experienced when she was a kid. And this was the first, like... I'm kind of ranting about this. This one, no, this no, one no. really, this one really got That's to me awesome. because it was the first interview where I did where it like true emotion came over me, and I had to keep that in check while I was talking yeah. to the subject because she's talking about things. That, so a little bit of background on her story: she lived about a mile away from the the what would you call it, the epicenter of the blast. And so she was in what's called the destruction zone of it, where the the bomb pretty much leveled everything within that couple miles before the radiation of it really started to take hold on. As as the bomb goes out, the radiation becomes stronger and stronger. So her entire house collapsed on top of her. Her entire family, she was about seven, she was somewhere between seven and 10. I can't remember exactly how old, but her entire family somewhere around 11 people died in the same house she was the only one that lived and she had to crawl out from the rubble of her house with broken limbs and walk through the desolate wasteland that hiroshima had become and now instead of harboring hatred she teaches kids how to mend that relationship wow it's just one of those things where sometimes sports leads you in a way that you had no clue you were going and teach you things that you had no clue that you were going to learn. So what was this event called? This is called the Pacific Rimble. It happens every two years on exception of the COVID year. You can look it up. It, wow. Yeah, every That's two cool. years they do it. They, they travel back and forth every other time that they do it. So, and when the, when the Americans go over to Japan, they go and see, the, they go and see where the bomb was dropped and, and all that stuff. And they take one football game every two years, and they pretty much take a lifetime of memories with them. Wow, that's, that's incredible. You know, and it's, it, yeah, it's and and that's like j- that's just one thing that I got to do. You know? And that's the beauty. I mean, it's it's cool that you come on this show because this is the epitome of a professional and an amateur. Is <laughs> because is because you went to college for this, you know, for journalism and all forms of journalism, not just sports journalism, right. correct? Yeah. yeah. So you you had to kind of sports was always your end game. But, uh, I mean, I think that you have proven that you're more than that because when you do these touching stories, I've seen snippets online, it does show emotion. And I think that that's what makes a good sportscaster, you know? So, uh, we just talked about your social media in your time in Medford. There's been a lot of cool stories about the races at the speedway, oh, which I, love which I think is really cool. Speedway. Yeah. I did my last call there a couple of weeks ago. That was that was a hard one to leave because I grew up at that track. Like, yeah. Every weekend of my life, I was there. Yeah. I mean, you so covering race, the races, the local high school sports like we had talked about. But the one that you shared on social media was your tribute to Kobe Bryant. Mm. And tell me about writing that piece. I shared it. I, like, I've watched a lot of your videos, but that one was one that I was like, I have to elevate this as much as possible. Not that I have a huge reach, but... It was a beautiful story, and both of us are Celtics fans, first right. of all. And but when Kobe Bryant died, that was a death for the NBA family. I mean, I cried immediately when I found out that it was happening. Once I realized it was real, because right. it was so surreal. But what was it like writing that piece? I think the the process of writing it started right when I heard about it, and I was in yeah. For pe- for people that are listening, the background for me. I mean, a lot of people that watch you know you're a Celtics fan because it's it's kind of all over sure, your, sure. your room here. But I. I had a different relationship with Kobe as a fan being the, than most people on the West Coast. And not I knew Kobe or anything. I don't mean relationship like that. I mean like my connections to watching him were different than most kids here because when I was a kid, I gravitated towards the Celtics. It's not a complicated uh, reasoning. I liked the color green. That's I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I gravitated naturally towards the Oregon Ducks, the Seattle Seahawks, the, the Boston Celtics. And I also loved Larry Bird. So... But anyways, as a Celtics fan, you grow up, you don't enjoy Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant is no, your arch he's nemesis. A heartbra- he's a heartbreaker. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so Absolutely. Be- being a Celtics fan comes with disliking the Los Angeles Lakers. And Kobe, for, our, for my generation was the Michael Jordan of the, of the group, you know? So when, when I heard Kobe died, I was on a mountainside snowboarding and service was coming 
in and out. It was my day off, and I saw the initial TMZ report, and the news director at Newswatch 12 also sent me a message that said that Kobe died in a helicopter crash. When I initially heard about it, I thought, like, is TMZ, you sure, know, yeah. let's relax a little bit and make sure. But there was this piece in the back of my brain that was like, they follow people everywhere. Yeah. And they've got to have a pretty good idea that he was at least on something that crashed, you know. So when like like you, when it was confirmed that he had died, I cried on that mountainside because it immediately went from a guy that played for a team that I didn't like very much to the realization that a, an entire piece of my childhood was gone. And Kobe was one of those people that – it's just that seemed like that was too he's too big of a guy for something like that to happen to you did not see that coming for no. a character like kobe bryant and he no, it kind of makes sense in a weird way because he was you know larger than life and right what hit me was was his daughters was mm-hmm. that you know kobe had some really really difficult times obviously he was charged with sexual assault the charges were you know later dropped but uh I don't think he was innocent, you know, you know, in that story. But the point is, is that he had really from everything that we know, and you talk about how I didn't know him. You feel like, you know, these people when you have grown up with them as a humongous part of your life. There are people that that there are athletes like that, that you get to know more later. Yeah. You change your opinion on them because Kobe, uh, when I think of Kobe, I think a lot of, I think a lot of Tom Brady in the sense that, when Tom Brady played for the Patriots, his personality was pretty much non-existent. You weren't allowed to be near that, and the Patriots didn't allow you to be near it. So, and and they also don't really allow their players to show it. When he went over to the Bucks, he became a completely different. We could see his personality more. We could see him smile more and and trash talk people, and you know, and that made him a little bit more likable. When Kobe became the father figure instead of the player that was so serious that you never saw any emotion right. out of him. He became a different person to everybody. It's almost like he had two different careers, yeah. one as a player and one as a dad. Yeah. And that I think is what made people really gravitate towards him there in the last couple of years. I really when I wrote the piece, I wanted to focus on that part of his life and how I would like to be like that one day when I'm a dad. And also the, so there was a really big piece to me that was the the kids that wanted a jersey when they were a kid. So when I wrote that piece in there, that was reflective of the friends that I knew in high school cafeterias right. that idolized Kobe Bryant. Yeah. And I didn't idolize Kobe Bryant. I played the role of I was so frustrated that he was so good that it was it was angry it made me angry at times, you know, when you watch Kobe Bryant sink the Celtics in the finals, it's not a fun time. No. But my friends idolized him and I kind of looked back at times when we would play 2K with each other or we would we would pretend to be players in the driveway when we were kids. We all did it. My friends would play rock, paper, scissors over who got to wear the Kobe jersey and be Kobe Bryant. Right. That was a thing, you know, and there's not many players that that happens no. with. So that's the, the piece to me. I, I just wanted it to be as personal as I could without regurgitating the same thing no, that everybody it was, was it saying. was very good but i mean for me it was just the evolution of the man and i'm not i'm not excusing what happened when he was younger sure. it's that it's the, i mean and the me too movement was happening around you know maybe a year before or whatever so i think that men were rightfully so forced to rethink the way that they treat women and i think that there was this shift in our society which was long overdue but that being said, I think every man has thought about maybe they look at themselves and they think about things that they may have done that have been questionable. And they then look at that like, well, I still have to move forward. I have to be a human being. And so I have to forgive myself. I have to, you know, maybe pre- it's a long thing. We're not, you know, but, but yeah. the point is, is that there's this thought process that I had about the evolution of the man. And then the next chapter of his life was really shaping up to where it was going to be a role model as a father and, you know, Kobe wasn't the only one that died. There was other people on the plane and his daughter. And, you know, you, we saw a lot of clips of him, uh, you know, being super uh, instrumental in her game. Kobe was helping to try to, you know, raise the WNBA. And There and- were so many players that were part of Kobe's reach 
Like, I don't think that people quite understand that not just the players that he inspired, but the people that he was teaching to play basketball, that reach will be like a, you know, like a, like a family tree that yeah. goes down, you know, because he was, he was connected to Sabrina Inescu well, and now Sabrina Inescu is teaching a whole new generation of female players to be great and, and reach for more. This last week, uh, as Celtics fans, this is something that matters greatly to me and should matter greatly to anybody that's a basketball fan and also an American. We lost Bill Russell. Mm. So Bill Russell obviously had a, f- a full life, you know, unlike Kobe, where Kobe died in his early 40s. Uh, but Bill Russell, there's stories about Kobe Bryant and Bill Russell working together, which is really interesting because, you know, Bill Russell was a longtime Celtic. And there's you know, obviously, if anybody knows the story of Bill Russell, there's reasons that he didn't want to go back to Boston because of the racism that he had experienced from fans of Boston, which is really irritating. And sometimes it's hard to be a Celtics fan because of that. But uh, yeah, I mean, we could be here for days talking about that, but that's the story. I listen to Bill, Bill Simmons podcast mm. and he talks about surprisingly Bill Russell reached out to Kobe and was like, I want to mentor you. And Kobe was just like, Oh my gosh. Like, you know, I mean, <laughs> yes, you know? And so, right. I mean, but anyway, I wanted to talk about that for anybody uh, listening to this. If they follow your socials, I'm sure that they could scroll back for days and they could find your little clip about Kobe. I would imagine that on the anniversary every year, you will share that story from yeah, the early I, days of your, you know, your career. Yeah. I share it on the anniversary and I also, I kept it as my pinned tweet for an entire year. It was a even, great one. Even even the stories that garnered a little more, you know, viewership or response or whatever. I, you know, in order to keep Kobe, you know, in my mind, I, I kept it as my pin tweet for an entire yeah, year, so I could easily one. go back and watch it. So now, working in sports, one of the things that people don't really think about a lot that was this is your job, this is your everyday job, and every one of us in 2020, as COVID hit, uh, our jobs were affected in different ways, and so for you, there was no sports. And so you had to keep yourself busy by covering other news. What was that like? And what did you learn from that experience? That was one of those. So the day that I can, I can very clearly remember the day that COVID canceled everything. We were talking about this the other day. They canceled the NBA game the night before. The following day, March Madness went down. The NBA took the season down and then... Our local schools were playing in the or in the basketball tournament, the state basketball tournament, and they canceled those. Two or three of the teams, I can't remember exactly how many right now, but two or three of the teams that I covered were playing in the semifinal and on the brink of playing for the state championship. Teams that were favored to win the state championship, the South Medford girls were on, were just unstoppable. Six players, their first six in their rotation got college scholarships that year. They were going to win the state championship, likely. I mean, they, they play the games for a reason, but in our minds, we were getting ready to write state championship articles for them. The Crater Comets, the boys, had Nathan Biddle at the time, who plays for Oregon now, and he was part of the ESPN 100, and they were pretty much, they, they were lighting everybody up. They were winning every game by 25 points or more, so it just suddenly came to a, just a halt. grinding halt, Yeah, and it was... It was article, I, I made a joke to you about this the other day, it was article after article that I was writing about my job being canceled. Yeah. <laughs> I was just sitting there like, well, what do I do now? Yeah. You yeah. know, so there was a lot of news coverage that I did, but I think what I learned the most out of that, um, we filmed a promo about how we kept, we never stopped the sports desk until the Almeida fire hit the Southern Oregon area. So Southern Oregon got a double whammy. We got COVID and we got oh, yeah. a fire that destroyed. So did, I mean, so did, so yeah. did we, yeah. So we, we didn't stop sports coverage until the Almeida fire hit. But my partner, Josh Shelton had a great quote in one of our promos that we did where he said, just because sports stop doesn't mean that sports stories stop. Absolutely. Yeah. So one thing that there's I was marble racing on ESPN, <laughs> on ESPN. Well, and there's also kids that I, I, one of the first stories I did where COVID was, had canceled everything was a, a football player that was going to a park and doing his football drills by himself wow. that he would normally wow. do at football practice. And that's the kind of tenacity and resiliency that high schoolers have. Sure. They'll go do it themselves somewhere else. Like yeah. they, you know what I mean? And not because 
they're forced to, but because that's their everyday life. And for a lot of these kids, that's what keeps them out of trouble. That's what keeps them doing something that keeps them away from bad keeps stuff. Keeps them out of mental trouble and know, when, a lot of times. Yeah, yeah and yeah. when it, it's it's how they get frustration out. It's how they... It's how they learn to grow and how they learn to analyze themselves without feeling like they're coming completely down on themselves, you know? And what I really learned in that time was how big of a piece sports is to our society. You remember how boring it was when there oh, yeah. was nothing to watch? Yeah, the the, <laughs> like, the last dance was the only thing. You yeah, know, that they they bumped it up. I mean, that was about the the last season of the Chicago Bulls with Jordan. You know, and they bumped it up early. They it gonna... was so boring that we all wrapped our minds around Tiger King. I like did it not. Was, no, yeah, I did. No, I couldn't do it. I I told myself that I wasn't gonna, and I watched the first five minutes, and then I watched six episodes without stopping. Yeah, like, <laughs> I remember. I, I joke about marble racing, but I remember. Uh, when stuff began to open up after the quarantine and I was hanging out, shout out to Taylor. I was hanging out with my friend Taylor Jones and we went to, we, he lives in Junction City and we were like, there's a, there's no bars open. I don't think, I don't drink, but we still, we went to a gambling place and they were, they were literally betting on marble races. And he's like, they're pre-recorded, but we don't know the outcome. Because there was ESPN just nothing. ate the Ocho yeah. became but it was a real regular, thing. It was regular ESPN. That's no joke. You know, so I want to change gears a little bit. And this is, I don't know, we're not going to go too deep into this because you're starting a new job. We don't want to get your, get your blood on your hands. But, <laughs> but being a journalist in today's world, in the world of division, has its challenges, you know, to say the least. If you could tell people who criticize the media, primarily local news coverage, to, you know, to squash some misconceptions, what would you tell them? So there's there's multiple uh, heads to this dragon. So th <laughs> this this may take me a second, but bear with me. It will all make sense. The first thing that I think that people... I think that the news, the fake news movement comes from a human being's natural insecurities and fears of something that they don't know about. So most people that you know have never been inside of a TV station. They don't know what that world looks like. That naturally is frightening. As human beings, we take security in knowing that we know what's going on. You know, so I feel like when you can't see the behind the scenes of it, naturally you start to question things. And rightfully so. That's how it should be. If there were things that I wish people knew about TV that I think would ease their minds a little bit, one is that I personally, and I won't speak for everybody, I personally have never been directed by anybody to say a story in a positive, negative. I, I've never been directed by anybody to change the format of my story for the sake of advertisers or how advertisers will feel about something. That has never happened. Uh, the other thing is that affiliates don't mean that stations local stations are controlled by say abc nbc fox that does not mean that that station is directed by abc or fox or whatever to do stories in a certain way deliver stories in a certain way those affiliations simply just mean that we are able to work with them get their video you know, use some of their stories, whatever. They're not our bosses and they don't show up and be like, you have to do this story because we're so-and-so and we say that's how it goes. That's not how that works. There's ABC stations that are owned by the same parent companies that Fox stations are. Like, yeah. So I think that people see the logo and they think that that means that, you know, whatever station is controlled by that entity. That's not how it works well, look at C look at NBC there's MSNBC and then there's CNBC those right. are very different yeah you know slants and all that now who when you're reading the teleprompter who wrote the copy I did you did yeah and now sport I want to make this clear though sports and and politics for example are going to be a little bit different there sure. is a narrative and there and, on, and that kind of stuff and we're talking about local news primarily so i have something on this this is why i said that there's uh there's multiple uh heads to this dragon so as far as accuracy i'll, I'll get to that yeah, yeah. one in just a second as far as accuracy goes i think that there, people are are fearful that in a lot of these stations like people can just make stuff up like i just said i put the copy into the teleprompter yes but I write the original copy for it, and then it has to go to the producer of the show that I'm 
doing it for. And then that copy has to go to the executive producer who says, where'd you get this fact? Can you prove well, that? Yeah. Exactly. Do you have a soundbite that has right. somebody else saying it so that maybe you're not necessarily saying it? Is this accurate? Can we prove this? All that stuff has to go through a, a multitude of people before it hits the air, you know? So that's, I, I, th- I've, think that people fear that we can just kind of willy-nilly make something up on the fly, throw it in there, and it just skates by. It's nearly impossible <laughs> for no, that to happen. There's actual laws, too. And, and so the other thing is that what you were bringing up, I think, in terms of politics versus sports, there's a very simple way, and I was actually on social media today explaining to somebody how I explain my views on the difference between opinion shows and, say, your local news. So I always cross this over with sports. When I wake up in the morning, I watch different sports shows for different things. I watch Sports Center for highlights, facts, stats, results, and sound clips. That's all I expect. First take is for entertainment. When I watch First Take, I watch for Stephen A's opinion and how whoever's debating him is going to respond to it. I don't call all of ESPN fake because... I didn't like what Stephen A said about this. So I feel like when people watch news entertainment and news shows, they should be looking at it with that same filter. When you watch your local news, you're watching for facts, for highlights of the day, sound clips from people that were there and professionals. When you watch, say, uh, Don Lemon or Tucker, you're watching for an opinion. Right. That doesn't mean that all the media is fake because those guys, you just, you need to be able to filter in your own mind what you're watching and what you're trying to get out of it. Right. But I mean, you know, I'm sure that even with all those checks, like you said, the producer, executive producer, there's still errors and and, and that kind of stuff, obviously, but it's not intentional, you know, and that kind of thing. Yeah. I just don't want people to think that there's, I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, a lot of people haven't been inside of TV stations, so they don't they don't really get to know all the people that work in there. They are everyday hardworking people. Right. They're struggling to pay bills just sure. like everybody else are. And they're, they're people that are like me sitting here wearing a Blink-182 shirt that they take their jobs. You know, they're normal people. They are everyday people. They take their jobs very seriously. They're very passionate about it. And most of them, I'm not going to speak for everybody. You know, there's there's worms in every industry. Most of them do not want to sway anybody in any way. That's not what their job is. Their job is to provide that information to you so that you can make your own opinion on it. When you went to school, was it always going to be sports? Was there ever a thought you're like, yeah, like, cause, cause <laughs> I mean, it's, I had to ask the question because of where I love the political realm. And I want to be clear. I say it often on the show. I'm not a journalist. What I do is, uh, raising awareness of just individuals that don't get a lot of coverage in Lane County. And then it's up to the listener to dive deeper, you know, and these are just conversations among friends and it is a show and it's, but this is entertainment. Not that I'm making this stuff up. I'm just saying that I, I don't go through the same checks. I don't have a producer. I know that I get stuff wrong all the time. I, I mean, one of my favorite examples is I, I had said something during the campaign last time about uh, the the police donating money, but it was the police union and mm. and I was super wrong. And fortunately for me, because of the show, I've made friends behind the scenes with people like the mayor and I got a, a message <laughs> from the mayor and he was like, you misspoke on this, my friend. And I was as like, as long as you can admit it, you know, yeah. I, I think that people can tell that you're genuine hearted when you can admit it. I yeah. love the PTI air counter. Sure. That's I, my I, favorite I love show. that. Because- Pardon the interruption on ESPN is probably my favorite sports show because it's too, absolutely respected journalists, Mm -hmm. Mike Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser. Mike Wilbon is one of my favorite people. There's a lot of great sports personalities and I grew up watching it. You know, I remember quick side note. Uh, I remember one of my friends saying to me, uh, you know, I was talking about sports or something and, and he said, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but sports are just a distraction from what really matters. And I'm like, I absolutely know that. That's exactly why I watched them. Yeah, that's why I brought up. What Do you remember you how about? boring things were when yeah. COVID was around? I'm, All we had to focus on was the bad. He's like, well, you know, it's like, what do you want me to think about? Climate change and the facts that we're constantly at war and the military industrial <laughs> complex. I want to watch a game that I can get worked up emotionally. And then when it's over, I don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this. Everyone's like, are you okay if the Celtics lost? I'm like, dude, I've lost my mom. 
Yep. <laughs> you know, you know what yep. I mean? Like, what do you mean? Like, yep. of course I'm okay. 100%. And you know what? There's a, there's a scene in the movie. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this movie. It's called Fever Pitch. Yeah. If nobody's if yeah. nobody's watched Fever Pitch, there is a brilliant scene in it. It's uh, Drew Barrymore and um, Fallon. Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. Jimmy Fallon. And Jimmy Fallon is a dedicated Red Sox fan that inherited season tickets to the Red Sox when his when his I think it's his uncle died. Yeah. And so he has two season tickets every year to the Red Sox and he, he it's become his life obsession and it's become an unhealthy obsession. There's a brilliant scene in it that I think wraps it up. There Jimmy Fallon and his friends are in a bar fretting over it's in it's in the season that the Red Sox win the World they Series. They weren't supposed in. to win in the movie. Well, I want to talk about that in a second, but go ahead. Yeah, so um it takes place around the the breaking the curse of the Bambino, but they're sitting in a bar and they're fretting because the Red Sox are on the brink of elimination. And they're basically sitting in a bar, like, drinking their life away, and they're sad, and they're depressed. And then one of them looks up and sees that three members of the Boston Red Sox are sitting up in the VIP area, and they're eating food. And they're baffled. They're like, how, how can they be sitting there eating food? We're literally crying our lives away, and three members of the Red Sox are sitting there eating food. Like that, and they got and the, yeah, they're sitting funny, pretty with their money in their pockets. Is why. Yeah, well, and the but the other thing is, is that the Boston Celtics players are going to continue to exist, or the whether Sox, yeah. or not yeah. we are sad about the fact that they lost. Yeah, they're going to go on with their life with or without us. You know, so sure. what's the point of having your entire day ruined by the fact that a team lost? Right now, that movie Fever Pitch. Uh, just quick little side note: Nick Hornsby, which I I'm a fan of. I mean, High Fidelity is mm. one of my absolute favorite movies of all the time. The number four with a smile. Yeah, and so <laughs> and so uh, Fever Pitch is originally written because Nick Hornsby is English, and so or he's from the UK. I don't, I don't could be Wales. I don't know, but but uh, he is. It was about soccer, you know, and I believe Manchester United. I can't remember. I'm not, I don't follow it. So I don't remember if it was that they always lost or they always won. And he was a fan of the smaller team. I can't remember. But point is, is that the movie, when they wrote it, the Red Sox were not supposed to win. And so they were following that. That was such a, that was one of my absolute favorite sports stories was that comeback, the for, the comeback for the Red Sox. I mean, who did you may know this? Cause you're a, I hope you do. Cause you're a sports reporter, but who did the Red Sox win in the world, beat in the world series? It was the, the Cardinals, the right? Cardinals, the St. Louis, but Cardinals. like realistically, if you're asked the average fan, even some quote unquote Red Sox fans, they don't know because they beat the, the Yankees. Big thing That's what was matters. They, came they back beat the Yankees. the Yankees. It wasn't even the championship. It was the conference championship. It was to win you know? the pennant. Yeah. The, yeah. So it's pretty wild. But yeah. So, I mean, I definitely recommend anybody if you haven't watched it, it's funny to watch Jimmy Fallon now because he's late night talk show host and all that stuff. But well, it's just one of those easy movies to watch too. Yeah, it's it's funny one. and it's, yeah, it, it kind of shows I remember watching that series and they were filming it. And so they had Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon on the field, and yeah, it's pretty good. So now I want to change gears, uh, talk about the Ducks a little bit because we're coming up on the season for football. You know, the games uh, I think start at the end of August or early September. Uh, but I think we cannot talk about the Ducks' up- upcoming season without talking about Spencer Webb. Mm. So Spencer Webb was the first string tight end, and he died in an accident tragically near Triangle Lake. Uh, Spencer Webb was very popular on social media and known for being extremely kind and approachable to everyone. What were your thoughts when you heard the news? I think that, so when I, when I heard it, I initially thought like, that is just, that's just not the way that his story was supposed to finish. A lot, I think John Canzano said it best when he said his story deserved a better ending. I, a lot of people didn't know Spencer's background that he had a really really tough upbringing and never let that contribute to how he treated other people. Like he was just one of those really kind souls. Everybody on the team gravitated towards him. But my initial thoughts of it were just, I not very long ago, three years ago was going down the rock slides at triangle Lake, you know, just being a kid. And and that's what he is doing. And for, for anybody to tragically lose their life like that is just an awful, awful thing. But he was so kind to everybody that his his soul is going to continue on through all of those people now. I think we've seen that within yeah. the team. Even people like Dan Lanning, who just joined the program, yeah. were just extremely impacted by it. Mario Cristobal tried to get to the other side of the country as 
plane got canceled or something like that, so he wasn't able to make it. But Spencer was was one of those people that you know, even if you didn't know him, you still felt a, a little something there because everybody else talks about him so so yeah. highly. And so many people that are from different kind of pockets of life beyond sports. My stepson even uh, kind of had a. My stepson likes to do these streaming where they're like a bunch of different people in a room and they have these conversations. It's probably pretty gr- grotesque what they talk about, but still, uh, <laughs> you know, they're young. Yeah. And and Spencer Webb and him had crossed paths, and he was like, "I actually know him. He knows who I am." And he said that, I mean, when I told him, because he didn't know, it was a couple days later, because uh, my stepson is at OSU, because he's a traitor, but he, um, <laughs> but he, uh, you know, I told him that he was telling me, literally, this is a true story. He was like, check out this thing I'm going to send to Spencer Webb. I'm like, dude, he just died. And he's like, oh, wait, wow. what? And he, he was going to send him, they send these, these video texts back and forth. And yeah, so I was shocked to know he showed me like, you know, I was like, do not do that because it was him with a beaver shirt on and stuff. And mm. just they're f- playful, you know, but right. I mean, anytime you hear stories about uh, kids and I've grown up in Oregon as, as of you, uh, it took me a long time to float the river because I just I have a, a natural respect of danger. I, I got mm. to say, and I don't, I'm not trying to be like, well, you shouldn't have done this because I don't know what happened. And it's really, sometimes when people die, I think the privacy to the family on, on what exactly happened, you know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not here for that. You know, that being said, it's, there's sometimes I want to just grab kids and be like, this is really dangerous what you're doing because people don't understand like floating the river or the rock slides or jumping off the rocks at Honeyman, you know, all these different things. It's like, you don't know what's under the water. You don't know, you know, and it's just, ah. And so it's just so tragic when you, when you hear those stories. I mean, it's, it breaks my heart, you know, and I I don't know, but this season for the ducks will absolutely be dedicated to Spencer Webb because he had just an infectious His memorial is still over there. Yeah, that was kind of a. I just had a friend in town, and uh, he's he's one of my old buddies from from when I worked at Newswatch Twelve, and he's he went to UW for college, but he's on his way down to visit Medford, and he stopped and wanted to see the campus, so I walked him around the campus, and when we got over to Otson, uh, Spencer's memorial was still over there, and it kind of just punched me right in the gut, yeah. and I was like, this is you know this is Spencer Webb's memorial, and even he stopped and went, oh. Yeah. And like just kind of sat there quiet for a second, you know. So, but the team is rallying around what Spencer would have wanted, and that's for the Ducks to be good at football and for the Ducks to grow and to uh, become something greater than what they've been expected to become. And I, I think that that is a beautiful thing when when somebody passes away, that their life becomes an inspiration for other people's lives. That's a beautiful thing, and I think that that's what's happening couple miles down the road. Yeah. I almost feel guilty segueing into the football element of it because he was a phenomenal player as a tight end. I did read that Patrick Herbert, Justin Herbert's little brother, was 100% healthy, uh, maybe for the first time in two years, three this years. This team... So for a tight end, I'm saying that, like, I, it doesn't... Again, it's like nothing replaces the human oh, being. Oh, sure. I get what you're saying. Football goes on and, and, and whatnot, and... So, yeah, there's so much to talk about with the Ducks. We're only going to touch on a little bit of it. But, you know, Dan Lanning has hit the ground running with recruiting. I'm ne- I've am i never been a big fan of Mario Cristobal, personally. And everyone was like, he's a good recruiter. And I'm like, is he? I mean, he is, because obviously he's doing great at Miami. But I think the programs, Oregon and Miami, have a lot to do with that. I think Dan Lanning is showing, at least, I don't put a ton of stock in the rankings for recruits. But when you get five-star rankings, it's a little bit different. Because, because... Well, when you get the team's highest rated recruit ever ever in Dante yeah. Moore in your first yeah in your first offseason yeah. I mean let's not forget that Dan Lanning has not coached a single football game for the University of Oregon and managed to pull the highest recruit in the history of and, the program and I see this is my point though Dan Lanning deserves a ton of credit but so does the program you know the program right like, like the Dan program Lan- yeah we, like don't, Dan we Lanning don't say says, program anymore and that's my point I mean he came here and accepted this job across the country for a reason and it's because wow there's uh opportunity to hit the ground running I think he's in here for the long haul which is five years in college sports I think he'll be here for at least five years I think outside of that there's no expectations that the change is dramatic the difference constantly. that I see in Lanning that I haven't necessarily seen in some of the previous coaches and I don't think that Mario Cristobal is a bad football coach. I mean, he had Oregon on the brink of the playoff last year, and I think that they started to fall apart because 
he was on his way out. Sure. And there, that, I mean, that started to I think happen that the earlier way that he handled the quarterback was pretty terrible. But so yeah. I think what makes Dan Lanning different, I, I think that Dan Lanning pairs up with the program greatly because he is so excited about it. You can see yeah. his face yeah. light up when he starts talking about, and it's not some fake enthusiasm. I mean, when, when he walked up to the PAC 12 media day podium, the first, and I know that some of this was, was a sell spot to maybe some other conferences, but he spent the first two, three minutes of that press conference talking about how Oregon is the fastest growing college football brand in the nation. Absolutely. And he and he said it with like this just joy in his face, like he his you can watch his eyes uh, light up, and he wears the shoes, and he and he brags about the relationships that he ha- that the program has, or sorry, program with <laughs> with Nike and and it, and the facilities in the area, and I think that that hits a spot with a player when you can see genuine excitement about it. Yeah, you know, and I mean. Uh, it hasn't been fast growing for me. I've been a fan since 93. I'm a poet and I didn't even know it. No, but the thing that I will say is what was the worst for a Duck fan was to see the division among the fan base for, you know, even during the Chip Kelly days when we were succeeding, but people were like, the games are boring. We're blowing everybody out. And I'm like, what? Like you, you know, and so that's the thing that I'm the most excited about for this season. It feels like it's it's a it's a renewal or like maybe a starting over kind of feeling where the last couple of years coaches were here for very I mean, Mario, like you said, we did have a lot of success. And we we were knocking on the door. But for some reason I just couldn't get excited. And this is the most excited I've been. And COVID has a lot to do with that because it was like, should we even be playing these games? Was also mm. a question. You know, and then the the fan base booing their own quarterback and Anthony Brown, you know, who just got picked up by the Ravens as an undrafted rookie. And I would love to see him succeed because it will prove my point that Mario Cristobal was not coaching the passing game at all, let alone well enough, but that I'm the one saying that. Yeah. I think, no, I think that it's a pretty, there's a pretty wide, uh, opinion out there that his in-game adjustments were not he was really great for culture and he was really great for recruiting and he's great for being you know he's a disciplinarian and that father figure but his in-game situational coaching left a lot to be desired I don't think that that's an opinion that that most people are gonna argue with you about I do want to say one thing that we that the, the football team lost a player that just left the team uh, the punter, Tom Snee, he's from Australia. I've been lucky enough to get to know him as his barber. He doesn't get a haircut often. He's got a long a flow. But he's an incredible human being. And he, I talked to him the other day, and I don't know if I'm supposed to get into this, and I won't go deep, but he's just like, I just got to focus on me. I don't know the story. I didn't, I didn't pry, but I just wanted to – I told him, I was like, I just want you to know you're always a duck, and we love you, and – you know, a lot of it, the, the papers and the, and the and the reporters like yourself were talking about how it was uh, being reported that he was basically needing to re, kind of reground himself with some mental health issues and whatnot. And we didn't get into it too much. He is going to continue to get his degree, which I think is amazing. He's been supported by the team. But I love Tom. I think he's just an incredible person. I think that it's so easy for us to forget and like... I don't forget it very often because I'm around the, the players. I'm I'm around football players, you know, during the fall, during the summer and fall time. I'm around football players literally every day. It's really easy for us to watch them on TV and forget that they are people yeah. like like we are. And yeah. I know that that's such a, like a you know maybe that's a cliche to bring up and talk about. But like, how many people I've known in the TV industry that have said that exact same thing? And that's their only reasoning for leaving the industry. I just need to do what's best for me right now. And that's okay. Yeah. That should not yeah. be met with with criticism from right. from anybody, I don't think. It's none of my business. What whatever you need to do for you, you know, is what you need well, to do for you. I mean, you. he told me straight up, he's like, I want to focus on my education. And I'm like, You're a student athlete, student first. And we're going to talk briefly about basketball, but then we're going to talk about conference realignment. And sometimes people forget that this is not just all about money. It's not all about the entertainment. It's about the students. It's about the people that are playing the game, you know, that they're living their experience and we just get to witness it and be flies on the wall, you know, but so yeah, let's segue into basketball. I don't have a ton to talk about with this. I just kind of, it sounds like there's some pretty promising things coming in basketball. The, the 2023 Today was a wild day okay, for uh, Oregon basketball. Yeah. So the 2023 uh, recruiting class is, 
being rated as number two in the nation. Uh, I don't know if I have this name right. Jackson Shedderd? Shellstad. Shellstad. You talking about the Westland guy? Yeah. So he's yeah. a four-star recruit, but then we got probably the, one of the highest recruits the Ducks have ever got in Mookie Cook. So d- did you follow the events of, of today and the last couple of weeks with is, Mookie? Is that, no, but all I know is that also, and then down the road, we're hearing some rumors that Bronny James is saying that Oregon's on a <laughs> yeah, short list. Yeah, yeah, on, a, on so, a short list. So let me wrap up Mookie Cook really yeah. quick, though, because he decommitted from Oregon a little while back. He decommitted. He recommitted to Oregon today. Yeah. So they got him back. So yeah. he's he's now committed to Oregon twice. So a lot of people are making a joke out of it and saying, Oregon's so nice – he had to commit twice to to the Ducks. So he's the he's the the biggest recruit, and the other one was him three months ago. No, so no, they saying, yeah they they've also gotten a couple yeah they're the recruiting class for Oregon right now is just it's two people and it's the it's the number two rated class for twenty twenty three. That's wild. That's just that shows the caliber of player that they're bringing. Well, on. and Jackson Shellstad, I he's like the the Peyton Pritchard prodigy from Westland. Oh, okay. And, wow. and he like is, I watched him play at the six, a tournament this last year, this last tournament that they had. Uh, I was up there covering South Medford and I watched a couple games. He played against South Medford, but I also watched a couple of Westland's games uh, at the tournament. That is of all of the high school players that I've ever watched. I think that he is the smoothest on the court. That's the best way I can wow. describe him. Yeah. I tweeted earlier, he is smooth like Carlos Santana and Rob Thomas, man. Oh he God. just is. You and your Rob Thomas. I yeah. love Matchbox 20. I know you do. So, no, you know, I don't know. We don't have a ton That's of time. That's a good connection, though. No, it is. Say that yeah, it is. I, I, I don't, now I, I don't all know of your told... viewers are going to have smooth stuck in their head That's for the rest beautiful. of the day. I don't know if I have talked about it on the podcast, but I want to because you'd mentioned Peyton Pritchard and the Celtics and we've talked about all that. I went to Boston Back in, in uh, uh, it was in April, and I went to the pro shop, and I was looking, I was I was debating on if I was going to buy the authentic jersey, because they're really expensive, and it was stupid to, that I did, but I was <laughs> sitting there, and I was looking at it, and then the guy that was helping me make the, the, the salesman or whatever was like, hey, if you buy it, you can have his dad sign it, and I looked over, and there's his dad, Peyton Pritchard's dad. Oh, wow. And I was like, no way, and I was like, wait, you're, and he's like, yeah, I'm Terry Pritchard. And I shook his hand and Dana, my partner, she's like, you should have him sign it. I'm like, I'm not going to have his dad sign his jersey. Like, that'd be silly. But uh, I just like, I think it's decided this is too much fake because, I mean, they are not cheap, you know. And I was already going way below our budget because we were like sharing appetizers so that we could go to more restaurants so that we could right. find out. We were doing really good with, with you know, I trip. love those kind of trips, though. It's, an, it's I some, love yeah. those kind of trips where like they're, they're, a big trip and all that stuff, but you you still feel like a human being when you're when you're on them. You know, you still got to stretch money here. Well, a little I mean, bit it's, a, here it's, and a, there. it's I've a, I've started to travel and it's not cheap. And I've Dana's really good about travel hacking and getting rewards points on credit cards. And we just pay our bills normally. And I'll, maybe I'll do an episode about that because there's, I mean, we're going to be going to Washington D.C. and the whole trip is paid for. With uh, travel just, hacking is a real thing. Yeah. Like if you know the tips and tricks of where you're going, like the first time I went to Las Vegas, I had no idea that this was a thing. As soon as you get in the cab in the airport to go to the strip, they will ask you what you doing this weekend. You ever been here before? And if you tell them, no, they know they can go the long way around. Sure. They'd, and like, but if you get right us. in the taxi and go, this is what I did. I had never been to Las Vegas before. I got in the taxi and said, take us to New York, New York. Can you please take the highway? Yeah, that actually happened to us in Boston. It was a cab and yeah, I had the GPS and I'm like, dude, why are we going right past the science center for the second time? Anyway, (laughs) so now I was going to, I wanted to talk about conference realignment, but we don't have a ton of time. Uh, and there's not a ton of, I mean, there's not a ton of concrete news other than the fact that USC and UCLA are both leaving the PAC 12 starting. This will be their last year in the PAC 12. The future of the PAC 12 is in jeopardy still. And I, I mean, I don't know what it's going to look like. I mean, so they're, are they going to the big 10 or big 12? I can't. So yeah, USC and UCLA are going to the big 10. So what, what is, what do you think as of right now will happen with Oregon and I am as clueless on this yeah. as anybody else is. Yeah. And it was it was one of those things when when I heard it, it was it was shocking. It was like 
One, because I've grown up with USC and UCLA in the Pac-12 slash Pac-10. But the seismic shift that this is setting up for college football to completely control all of the other sports. Like, that's what I think that a lot of people are forgetting here. This is not just football changing conferences. This is for volleyball. This is volleyball. Yeah, this is volleyball teams traveling across the country twice as much. This is. The baseball teams and the softball teams. Which and, means they and, might not exist as programs. So it's it's one of those things where college football is growing bigger than what anybody thought it possibly could, but it's also growing bigger than the world of collegiate athletics. Yeah. And that's a that's a completely different conversation, but as far as where are they going to be, who knows? Yeah. I mean, I mean, especially there's even more uncertainty this weekend because UO's president is leaving to go to Northwestern. Wow. So, yeah, Michael Schill is leaving to go to Northwestern. So now Oregon doesn't have a current solidified president in the room to have those conversations. Wow. And, you know, maybe that will end up for the better one day. Michael Schill is, is a fantastic guy, and he's always wanted to work at Northwestern, and he wasn't the biggest sports guy. Yeah, and that's, I think, so athletic director. Maybe has one more. day, Rob, you know, maybe Rob one Mullins day, amazing. maybe one day Oregon has a president that's a much bigger sports guy, you I, know. And I don't know knows? if that's necessarily what I would like to see, to be honest, because Fair it's enough. not just about sports, you know. Uh, and so. I, maybe I'd like to see somebody that's like, what about education? You know, and I mean, that's the knock a lot of times on sports. It's also a misconception, like the Phil Knight money, because there's a lot of money that's gone towards sciences and things like that. We could be here for days and hopefully we can, you know, now that you're local, uh, hopefully every quarter or so I can bring you back on and, and you're going to be busy, but it, we were really lucky to get you this time. Cause you're going to be starting what the 15th is your, yeah, I start on Monday and it's going to ramp up fast. Cause yeah. we just got a bunch of stuff to plan. My first, uh, my first big game, talk about storyline, man, my first Oregon game. And, and I'm also going to cover Oregon state. You know, there's, yeah. there's so much great stuff they happening over a, Oregon they state. They still have a football team. Yeah. They, and they, they're going to be good this year. No, that's awesome. That's exciting. They're, their baseball they team's are bringing great. back. Did you know that they're bringing back their entire defensive backfield? All of them yeah. are back. Jaden Grant's back for a seventh season. When you include his, it's his probably a lot of fun for you to cover and, the Beavers because it reminds you of what it was like to cover high school sports in Medford. Oh gosh. No. <laughs> well, anyways, what I was saying is that you know what a storyline because the first game that I'm going to really you know plan out and cover is going to be Dan Lanning playing against his old team yeah. that he won a national championship with in the previous season. In that Atlanta. happens are you once go- are every you going? hundred years. We have a reporter that's going. I'm going to stay back and host college game night. Yeah. Yeah. But we do have a reporter that will be there. We will have presence at the game. And the game is at like 9 o'clock in the morning over there. So, so by the time we by the time we go on air, around, I think it will be around 8 o'clock, um, we are going to have so much coverage from Atlanta. So people really want to watch yeah. that weekend. So let's talk about that. So KEZI9. We're talking to Cameron Derby, which your name, it's like you were named for this job. Uh, but <laughs> People think my name is I, fake. I know. Uh, fake news. No, but so Cam Derby, you just talked about you're going to be on KEZ9, KEZI9, and then uh, game night is on Friday nights or is it on? No, so Friday Night Blitz is the high school show. That's on Friday night. Okay. And that's part of the 11 o'clock broadcast. College game night, the, the times kind of vary up because college game night starts as soon as the late ABC game gets over. So it could be at eight o'clock, or it could be sure. could yeah. be at nine thirty if sure. it goes to six overtimes. But we always get the full hour in, no matter but what. But it's ABC. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's ESPN and all that. And I mean, it's- so yeah the 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 Oregon Georgia game is going to be the big noon kickoff. When I saw that it was going to be the big noon kickoff, uh, I celebrated. Is the game on ESPN? The game no will be on Fox. Okay. The game is going to be on Fox at noon our time. Okay. So or sorry, nine o'clock our time noon over there sure so the game is going to be over a good five hours before we go on air which is going to give our reporter a just a so much time to do so much stuff for us yeah and it's it's different when you have somebody that's there at the game you get a completely different perspective the camera shots that we'll get from right down on the field not the you know not the shot from way up there in the air but we'll have a shot from right down there on the sideline and we'll have a reporter there to talk to Dan Lanning and all those guys when the game is over. And like I said, that first game, and I know everybody's hyped for it. We're in Eugene. Oh, yeah. Everybody's hyped for Oregon, Georgia. But I don't necessarily feel like people are appreciating 
the once in every hundred years that this storyline is. Yeah, yeah. Whether it was the Ducks or whether it was, you know, Penn State or whoever, the head coach coaching in his very first game, playing against his old team in which he won the national championship the year before with. I mean, the defensive coordinator for Penn State, we don't want to talk about. So. <laughs> well, yeah, you get what I'm saying, though. Well, the ex-defensive coordinator. <clears throat> is no, but th- That um, is an insane storyline. Yeah, it is huge. It's going to be exciting. I'm loving what I'm seeing with Dan Lanning. We do have to get out of here. So catch Cameron Derby. Is it Cam or Cameron? It's both. It's but it's. What's you know, your TV? Are you going by Cameron? I, I get my name's Cameron, so I put Cameron out there. I feel that my my dad calls me Cameron when we have serious conversations. My grandparents so call depends. me Cameron. Most everybody calls me Cam. So if, he's, it, if it says Cam, then it, it means he's not in trouble. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. So to Cam me. Derby, <laughs> thank you so much. I'm honored to have you, and not only as. A guest, but we've become friends. We've kept in touch. Even though you were in Medford, we talk at least once a month ever since you've left. Lately, it's been more. I cut your hair last time, which is great. And, and it I looks know- good, too. Oh, surprise. So, uh, and uh, so catch Cam, New- Cam Newton, catch Cam Derby <laughs> on uh, KEZI9. I want to do this, you know, catch me and the, and the Spent the Rent podcast, the first ever meet and greet. I'm going to be. Uh, at a booth, I'm going to have a booth at the 25th anniversary event for the 25th anniversary of Safer, which is the Springfield Alliance for Equity and Respect. So it's the Safer 25th anniversary celebration this Sunday, August 12th at Tyson Park in Springfield, Oregon at 3 p.m., 3 to 5.30. So it's just an afternoon thing. And it's basically the Latino community that's putting it on of Springfield. I was invited by a uh, good friend, Johannes Tadeo. It's an honor to be invited uh, I was like, are you sure I'm the right fit? And he's like, if we don't have white folks, then there's not. it's not really diversity. <laughs> and so uh, I, it's going to be great. There's going to be food trucks, tacos, and and different stuff. And then uh, I think that it's two dueling taco trucks, actually, which will be interesting. A taco battle. And then there's music and dancing, and it's a family-friendly event. Everyone, please come to this event. Safer's 25th anniversary celebration, Tyson Park in Springfield. You can Google it, t- find out how to find that. Uh, 3 p.m. on Sunday, August 12th. So that should be super exciting. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, which I I do need, you know, some more patrons from Patreon to keep this thing going, uh, you can become a patron for as low as $5 a month. You can also donate on on uh, PayPal. And the way to do that is you just go to strpod.com and go to the donate tab and just click on donate now. And then there's a few different options. Or if you just want to drop a one-time donation on Venmo, you can do that. You can find that on strpod.com as well, or you can just go on Venmo and it's at spent the rent. And so I'm an LLC now. So this isn't a legit business. It's slowly growing, but the only way that I get revenue is from donations from, from my, my, my listeners. And so I do not charge guests. Uh, obviously I wouldn't charge you, but when I have businesses on, I, I have an ethos that I will never charge. I just a moved. So I'm broke. So yeah, don't try and get any money out of me. He hasn't me. gotten a paycheck yet. <laughs> so Cam Derby, thank you so much. And we're going to get out of here. All right. Well, thank you. I, am I one of your, am I one of your only reoccurring guests now? Oh no. I mean, you're one of my favorites, but my, they're all my favorites, but I have, I've tried to create a community with this podcast. So it's hopefully I can have you on more. But I've had, I mean, Thomas Hira, I'm almost like obligated to mention him every episode. I think he's been on like six or seven times. I've had Patrick Miller on a few times, but, uh, you know, there's been some people coming back because I want my audience to get familiar with, with guests so that Mm. there's this culture and community that's growing. And the beauty of my podcast that I love so much that I, I had no idea when I started is there's a group of people behind the scenes that has became friends which a great thing that's just getting started. So it's very much in its infant stage. If you become a patron, you can go and join the discord. And so there's going to be a chat board that is literally fans of the spent the rent podcast. And so you can uh, just go on Patreon, go on the website, strpod.com, click on the Patreon link under the donate tab. And you will, uh, for anyone that subscribes $5 or up, uh, you will become, you will have access to the discord and that way, you know, everyone behind the scenes is becoming a community and I love it. That's why I've started using, I created the Facebook page, the five for one community. And that is the friends of the, of the spent the rent podcast. So we're going to get out of here. Cam Derby. Thank you so much. We're going to end this with a song. This is me, Patty Rose with the song conflicting sides. We are broken.
put aside Our differences and pride And stand together allied Conflicting sides Can be a thing of the past If we look at ourselves and ask Are we accomplishing anything? Are we actually trying to bring anyone comfort? Or is the goal to divide The conflicting sides